We're back. And today we're sharing a conversation Rick had with the head coach of the University of Kentucky Wildcats basketball team, John Calipari. Coach Cal is one of the most successful college basketball coaches in history, leading 49 players to be drafted to the NBA. But he's never had a former player win the NBA championship. Well, that streak is over this year, with Anthony Davis on the LA Lakers facing Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero on the Miami Heat. Cal has won six championships in his career, and he's one of only two coaches to lead three different schools to a Final Four. So what's his secret to building a great team? What does he really look for as the top quality and star talent? And what's he doing to pay it all forward? This is Three Things with Coach John Calipari. Cal, how are you? Rick, how are you? I am good, brother. And family's all good, right? Everybody's good. How's yours? Yes, we're safe. We're safe. Trying to work our way through all this. uh, I don't even know what you want to call it, but trying to stay safe and keep moving and, you know, keep our heads about us and wits about us. But it's uh, it's a little different right now. It'll pass. It will pass. It always does. So listen, tell the listeners how you and I met, because uh, I think it's a funny story that tells a lot about our personalities. And we'll start there. I was coaching at the Michael Jordan camp and I'm in the casino walking and Rick says, are you coaching in this camp? And he said, I said, yeah, you need to take me. And I go, really? And let me look at the list. I'm going to tell you some other guys you should take because you newcomers get crushed in this thing. So you helped me that first year when we came and, and I drafted, we came, we, we had fun. We had a pretty good team. So, uh, and then I played for you a bunch of times after that. Right. Well, after that, I knew that, should I say that this guy, well, here's what I know. Ultra competitive would fight. You look at my guys in the bubble right now. That's what all of them can do. Uh, All right. Just keep fighting, keep battling, keep being competitive. Um, No, we had some fun. I enjoyed coaching you. Yeah, right. I enjoyed playing for you. It's uh, it's kind of an odd thing to play for a Hall of Fame coach when you have no game, but it's uh... <laughs> you had game, <laughs> you had game. Hey, so so tell me. Uh, I just don't want to spend a lot on on COVID, but what happened to the beer? Tell us about the bet you lost. Well, I went on TNT with Charles Barkley, and we were playing Auburn in football. Yeah, felt really good about our football team. I thought we were in a good place. And I thought we could go and pull an upset. And I said, I'll tell you what, let's do a bet. You grow a beard and I'll shave this. I'll shave it if our team loses. You grow one. If Auburn, he he said, I can't do it. They showed a picture of him, Charles Barkley, with a beard. He looked so bad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And so, but I had this beard since uh, the corona. I just grew it and kept it and... So I shaved it off. Now, I can still grow it. You didn't like it. My wife didn't like it. Part of the reason why I kept it. So I can always grow it back if I want to. Knowing you, I'm pretty sure you were cutting it that weekend, and you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. You get red really quickly. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, so tell me, what have you learned about yourself during this COVID time period? You know, even though I'm working, I'm not traveling a tenth of the time I'm traveling. Um, 
I have way more energy um, in what I'm doing. I'm, I'm having more time for thought. Uh, let me give you an example. I went five weeks in New Jersey and it's time that I would never be there. I'd be on campus. I'd be doing stuff, but I stayed there five weeks. The players couldn't be there. No one, we couldn't get in our office. There was no reason for me to be there. And now because you can work from a distance, you can, you know, zoom call, you can get your staff together. So you learn, you can do stuff from home. Um, but you have to be really more organized than you are without this because you got to say, okay, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this. I'm making time for recruiting. I'm going to have staff calls at this time. I'm, I'm going to spend some time reading. When am I going to do this? And you get a little more organized with yourself or you're flailing. And so I found that out that, you know what, I don't have to be on the run 24-7. I can get work done from right here. And I'll tell you, I think it starts changing recruiting. Frank Martin, South Carolina's coach down near you, said, I've committed three guys without seeing them over Zoom. He said, I love this. I said, Frank, you've committed three guys because they haven't met you in person. If they met you in person, they're not going to commit to you. But the point of the Zoom call, no travel, you know, being able to get stuff done, like we can do this different. You don't have to panic. You can still get work done. I agree with that. It's amazing how many habits we had as fixed of things that we thought we had to do. And, you know, I don't think anybody, including, you know, what I do and what you do will be back to being the same. I agree. And how about... Um, you look great, so I can tell you've been working out and you know sleeping and all that good stuff. And anything else personally you've learned? We all need time to think. What's out ahead of us? Transfer without penalty, name, image, and likeness. And you need time to think to get you sometimes to change. Just to say, and, but you really got to think it through. You can't just change on a dime because you felt like it one morning. I'm going to change. No. You thought this through. For us, how I utilize my staff, how do we do this recruiting a little different? Do I put these three and all they want, I want you to do is recruit? You too. Don't worry about anything else. Just recruit. You have so much to sell. You have, why would any kid now not, how do we not get, we're like not getting, we, we're not like everybody thinks we get everybody we want. We really don't. I mean, you got other people that are beating us on kids and you're like, how does this happen? So that's one thing. Another thing, I really believe we got to get a psychologist, either clinical sports. I'd rather it be a female. I'd rather it be a black female because what these kids are up against now and what's out there for them brings great anxiety, like great anxiety. Like I got to do this. Yeah, my, my family. And then they're getting stuff from home. And so there's, it's almost like a future staff. I need to have somebody with me that's helping me prepare. And as an NBA assistant, just watching tape and coming up with ideas and doing that, which is an NBA assistant. Don't worry about recruiting. I don't need you to do all that. I need you to do this. And it's what these kids need too. And tell so we're- the, Tell me about the Kentucky bubble. Well, first of all, you know our setup. Yeah. So we got Sweet. our lodge in the practice facility right there. 
and we only have our players in the in a, in the lodge, and they walk across and they come in a certain way, and no one's. So we're in a pretty good lockdown bubble, but it's hard. They're still 18 years old, 19 years old. And so now I want to go see a girl or you want to get, you know, it's the, okay. Now you're affecting everybody. And if you do something dumb, we're knocking down everybody. And the the thing that's going to get schools, Rick, is not so much that someone gets the virus. It's the tracing because the tracing knocks people out for two weeks. So one of your players does something dumb or doesn't do something dumb, just gets it. They knock out all the rest of your team for two weeks. But it's not just that. They have what they call ramp up. You have one week that you can't play games. So it's a three-week period now, which if you do that once or twice in a college basketball season, you're not going to play enough games to be in the NCAA tournament. So we've got to mitigate as best we can, staff, managers, and all that. And we got to continue to be on the players. We have an advantage at Kentucky because we got a kind of bubble. Um, but still, they're around us, and we're not in the bubble. You know, you're around managers who may not be in the bubble. It's going to be a, a very strange season, right? Because some teams may play 15, 17 games. Somebody may play, play 27. Right. At the end of the day, does it matter? When you look at the tournament, you look at, you know, who wins it all. Is this going to be a, an asterisk kind of season? No, because here's what we're saying to the committee. We coaches pick the best teams, but there's not going to be competitive equity. There's not. We have a team that we're supposed to play at their place mad when we don't want to play the game. We're like, why? Because we're not going to have fans. You think I'm, I'm responsible for the pandemic? We got a game with Notre Dame at home. We got to play it. We're not going to have fans. We got a game at home against Texas without fans. We got to play it. So there's there's not going to be equity. Let's say in the conference SEC, you've waited three years to get Kentucky or four at your place. And it's this year and you got no fans. I mean, that's not my fault. What do we do? Cancel the games? How about this? We'll play all neutral games. Where the hell are we going to play? I mean, so you got to just, there's no competitive equity. It's about survival, Rick, literally. Your business, you know, you say, well, we're trying to grow. We're trying to survive. I'm trying to make sure I don't have to lay anybody off. I'm trying to make sure we're paying bills and all that. Let's get through this. But when we come out, we're coming out swinging. I'm dying to ask you this, so let's jump to something. I I can imagine you're staying up pretty late, watching a ton of hoops, watching all your guys. Uh, First of all, congrats. I know you feel like a proud, you know, father of the three players advancing to the finals, but, you know, everybody that's been in the bubble, and and Kentucky has been so well represented. Uh, In terms of, like, progress of players, uh, in uh, I, I think that I just want to comment from you as to what this been this has meant to you watching your guys do so well. Well, first of all, you know some people will say, "Were you surprised?" And I'm not surprised. I'm sometimes surprised how fast, like with Tyler, that fast. Um, but I'm not surprised because I like to tell them your rookie year is at Kentucky. That's your rookie year, and. Everything we do from competitiveness, you've been in our practices. It's not one guy or two guys. 
It's all of them. And they're all fighting for their lives. They're all competitive. There's a fight to them. Now, the skill set that you know, the NBA is changing. It went from total, the athlete, the length, to skill and shooting and all. And that's now being the, the, the benchmark. Well, the only way you master that, you master your craft is by getting in that gym and being in that gym and living in that gym. I don't want to do it. That's your choice. But you're not going to go the way this is all going where you should. So you take a guy and I watch with us, you got to be a great teammate. We're teaching basketball, not a system. Here's how you play. I don't know where they're going. They may go to Charlotte. They may go to Dallas. They may go to Miami. They may go to Boston. All I'm telling you is here's how you play basketball. So I say that's one. The second piece is they learn to be good teammates here. So what did Bam say after they lost? It's on me. It's on me. It's my fault. What? How many guys in the NBA would you ever hear say that? Come on, man. They're blind. I do what I do. He did. How about Tyler Hero saying, I'm doing this to help Jimmy Butler get to his first finals? Wow. How about Anthony Davis when Charles Barkley hits him in the mouth and says, you're not aggressive all the time. Tell us why. Well, how about that he wants a win so bad, sometimes he will step back and let someone else step up because that's who he is. If he has to, he's averaging 30 a game. What do you mean? What do you want to go score 50 a game? I mean, so now he's saying it the right way, but I'm proud of those guys being that way. I think Miami is renowned to have a great player development program. And, I, and a question for you is, if you, do you think Tyler and Bam, if they go to any other franchise, don't pick one, but any other franchise, would they be this far along or has Miami really accelerated what you build upon? Who? Uh, let, I'll give you two things. Uh, you know, I love Miami because their culture is if you're not into work and if you don't come here, you're in the wrong place. And then when you get players in there that preach the culture, you're in the finals. OK, because when you look at their team, I mean, they got good players in it, but they got guys that are playing beyond what you think they could do because they built their own confidence. They built it through work, not their coach saying, you're good. Way to shoot it. Well, he misses three. Ah, what do you know? It's they built their own. But here's what I would say. Who would have the courage to make Bam a point center? Who would have the courage to do that? Now, I'm telling you, Pat Riley called me when he made that trade. And he said, I'm doing this because I want Bam on the court 35 minutes and I want him to show everything. That's what Pat Riley said to me. Who would have the courage to do it? How about Tyler Hero's 20 years old? How about he's playing the most minutes in the fourth quarter for the Miami Heat? How is that? But you don't start him because he's got a great attitude and he doesn't care, but he finishes every game. What? How is that? Well, again, because he defends, which he didn't do when he got here. Like if you don't guard, you know, if you don't guard here, I'm not playing. You got to guard somebody. He learned, he passes, he rebounds, and he's not afraid to take game winning shots. He doesn't make them all, but he's not afraid of them, which means he may go on a five basket run. So Spo just says, 
Eric Sposha, he's out there. I'm leaving him on the court, and I'm going to live and die with a 20-year-old. And with a zone. Who plays a zone all game, right? Like, I, I call like, Bayheim. You know I call Bayheim. They're playing you? your BS zone. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I did. He said they're winning. You see they're winning. They're what playing they're his zone, the bumping zone. Yes. That's what they're playing. So let's talk about talent because you and I think a lot about talent. You know, I think winning, you know, finding the right people to put into your system really matters. You have a, an incredible challenge every year that you got to find not 18 and 19 year olds, but kids that you know you're going to have for a year. Kids that you got to help. Year, year or two. Um, kids that you are trying to get them to get a lot better so that they can go into the pros but also come together as a unit, right? So it's a really interesting talent challenge that you have. What is the the makeup of that kit when you look at it and, you know, they're all top 50 and, and those are so subjective. What are the real differentiators that said, this is a kid that can flourish here and beyond? Uh, does he have a competitive spirit? Is he looking to be told that you're going to do this and this? I'm going to play you here. What if a kid says, will you not recruit anybody at my position this year or next? Can't come here. I mean, what are you talking about? You don't even ask me that. Um, I would say with you, what if you, somebody that you think is a star, but just not a good teammate, what would you do? He can't survive in your place. No. There's no way. Or um, no, asshole. no assholes allowed is our policy. Yeah. How about, how about, how about this one? How about if you're talking to a guy and all he wants to know is how much money, his uh, benefits, what vacation time, and that comes out of his mouth. You go, ah, I got to go to lunch. Um, I will talk to I mean, we want people who say, I want to come in here and learn. I want to see how good I can get. I want to see what I can help anybody around me. But if a guy doesn't make everybody better, he can't come here. If a guy looks and he's just concerned with what he is doing versus I'm playing and competing and making everybody better, those are the kids that come here and want to be here um, and want to share, want to learn to be a good teammate. You know, Cal, and, and that's not for everybody. I, I tell you, I think a lot about um, because we know a lot of the a lot of the same coaches and you know what what I have found and I see it in our in our business as well the people that do really well have a combination of love of the game and the game can be the, your craft it doesn't matter what it is but then you have to have this competitive spirit inside of you and is this competitive spirit almost like I want to get better every day not necessarily I necessarily have to be better than somebody I just have to be better than I was. And, and, and really recruiting for that, I think, will make all the difference in the world in, in anything we do. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and love. Um, the guys won't live in the gym if they don't love it. When I hit Tyler Hero about a month ago when he was just getting started, I said, you know, I talked to these guys about how much time you spend in the gym. And he texted me back. I was either in the lodge or the gym. And he said, you ready? I miss those days. That, you know what I'm saying? This dude, like, he misses the work. He misses the grind. He misses, and they're still doing it there. 
But here he had nothing else in there or in this court. And 11 o'clock, he went back and went to sleep, you know? There's, there's such a powerful, there's something so powerful in that statement of loving the grind, learning to love the grind. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything is hard before it's easy. Everything is a struggle until you master it. And, and it's, uh, you know, some people fight the grind or trying to Can I give you this? short circuit the grind. You, if, if anyone listen to this, they have one of the hardest, toughest days and they sit on their bed at night and they can convince themselves, I love this. This is what I want. You'll sleep like a baby. You'll get up early the next day and look for the next day to grind. If you go to bed, oh my gosh, I can't. I, if I have to do this, this is the most miserable. And then you start making people around you miserable. Then you got to find another field to work in because someone's going to say, dude, you make us, you're like an energy zapper. Or are you the guy that wakes up, puts his feet in the, on the floor and say, I cannot wait to start today. So, I, I mean, most of it is a mentality. But here, let me say this. If you have been enabled your whole life, everything was always going to be somebody else's fault. If you have been given stuff and hadn't had to earn it, all of a sudden you go and you got to earn and you got to keep your way and no one's making excuses. You're going to be miserable for a while. It's just how it is. Because if you don't love the grind, what happens is you start making excuses. You, know, you start kind of blaming others, blaming the system, blaming bad luck. Um, and, and that's the, you know, that's the death spiral of all of this. So I, I think there's something there about teaching people to really embrace the grind and, and learn. And to don't it. drink the poison when it's going good. Yeah. Like your you guys at your company, don't be drinking that poison. I know shit is going well, but you drink that poison when people start telling you you guys are geniuses and you got the end. And all of a sudden, instead of chasing, instead of chasing, you're now being chased. It's a different attitude. So, Cal, what's your favorite investment? Your place. <laughs> Red Ventures. I wait on that yet yearly. How much do I got to pay in taxes because my Red Venture went up? <laughs> I hit Tyler Hero, and my comment to him was, don't drink that poison from the media. You've built your own confidence. You don't have to read them building you up. You stay with a chip on your shoulders and keep chasing. Because in a few years, you're going to be chased and this thing changes and you're going to have to have a different approach to this. Probably so, the best recruiting uh, commercial you got is to show all your young guys doing that well, knowing that going through your system made such a big difference in getting them ready for the NBA. What ha here's what's happening though. Now you got, well, he doesn't let you do your stuff and they're calling me Dean Smith. The next coach, he's another coach Smith. I kind of like it. I mean, you're calling me Dean Smith, this kid from Moon Township. I mean, what are you talking about? But what it does is you bring people together and they learn to be great teammates. They learn to win, you know, and it's hard. Like somebody said, well, win more championships. What if they were best of three? What if they were best of seven? How many would we have won? But it isn't. It's one game. Do that in the NBA and see if the best team wins.
It ain't going to happen. Somebody gets hot and you get knocked out. It's a whole different mindset. How about when you have young guys like I do that have never played in the NCAA tournament? They don't know what advancing is. They don't know what this is. And you're trying to win it. I mean, it's a little different. You know, the, back to your statement on never stop chasing. I, I remember the late Simon Perez. Uh, I had the fortune of sitting in a meeting with him, uh, visiting Israel with a group of friends. And he said, you know, um, awards, the press, they're like perfume. Nice to smell, but dangerous to swallow. Right. So poison. For, for yeah, poison. So, so the, to exactly your see, Tyler has to, uh, you know, all of them have to make sure. Bam. That How about Bam? Don't yeah. read it, Bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your uh, initiative around really providing a network and opportunities for minorities. I know you partner up with Tommy Amaker and then a lot of coaches have joined and you and I talked about this early and and all of that. And, and, and I appreciate, one of the, appreciate you investing in it too. Thank well, you. Let, listen, you call and I say yes and then I ask you what is it because you do the same. <laughs> so, uh, the, but, uh, but what I'm interested in is 10 years from now, what do you hope the fruits of this look like? What, what, what is a division of that? Okay, because you know I'm going to answer the way I want to answer this anyway, <laughs> no matter what you ask me. So <laughs> in, in the first year, it's really important that we mentor that these founders, these first 35 people that get in this program, uh, we need to have video. We have to have them. We have to have them talk. We have to have their mentors talk. We have to see what happens for them. How many of them get hired at the university they're working? How many go into business saying, you know what? I really like this and you helped me get started, but I'm going to go over here and make five times the amount of money because it's what I wanted to do anyway, but you gave me a foundation. Great. Whether it's been, this is all about access and opportunity. After five years, we're going to have numbers. I don't know about you, but I'm a numbers guy. I'm not investing in something that there's not something that I can see that's making it worth, worth me investing in. So after 10, let's hope we have twice as many minority ADs. It could be women, black women, black men, brown, minority ADs, which could lead to more coaches of color in football and basketball have a pipeline in every athletic department that chooses to do this. Some won't choose to do this now, Rick, but if they choose to do it, instead of having two minorities in the whole athletic department, maybe you have 10 or 12 now. And I, I really like that. What you're really providing is a platform for them to build a network, to tap into a network that they typically don't have access to. Uh, they would never to, rub shoulders with some of these people, no. but they will now. And think about by bringing diversity into all of this, you know, athletic departments, you're going to change the, the notion of the inclusion element of this. People are going to feel a lot more inclusive or included in the process. So I think it's going to have a lot of benefits, even for the, the student athletes that today look up and say, hey, you know, you know, I can see my coaches being, you know, diverse, but I don't see anybody else in the administration. I, I think this is really good, and I think this will pay dividends for a long time. So kudos to you. But I think we're not going to see it, Rick, until what you just said. Five years out, what's it look like? Ten years out, what's it look like? Anyone listening, minority leaders 
www.ethicsforcreativeleadership.org. Business owner, athletic director, if you are a minority man, woman, you want to get involved in this, you can uh, apply. All right, let's, let's bring this to uh, kind of the, the stretch home. Let's talk a little bit about um, family matters. You know, I, I think the best job recruiting you've ever done was convincing your, your wife, Ellen, to marry you. Uh, I have seen that. She was the recruiter. She recruited me. Don't well, even go I'm there. Knowing you, I'm sure you worked hard and hard, and you probably got turned down five times, and she finally gave you a shot. But tell me, what's it, uh, what's it like uh, to have somebody by your side that has been so important in, you know, kind of keeping you steady, keeping you grounded, keeping you straight? Uh, 33 years we've been together, we've been married, but this just happened yesterday. I'm on the phone. What was I talking about? I said, I don't want this to sound like I'm bragging. And she she goes, yes, you do. You absolutely do. So she's not one. She's not the encourager. That's not who she is. She's the one that keeps me in line. Uh, she started this Snapchat and, and, and all of a sudden she's taking pictures of me. Uh, taking garbage cans down. She's having fun. But, you know, the one thing I would tell you with anybody who's been married a long time, if you can't laugh at each other, it's a hard life, man. You got to, you know, be able to smile and laugh. And, and that's a that's part of it. All right. We're going to go. We're going to close out with a lightning round questions, which may be an impossibility with you. But we're going to really try to do a How many words round. do I get? <laughs> no, like. Like 10 max. All right. I'll try to, I'll try to go shorter. All right. Favorite game you've ever coached. National championship game in 2012. I was there with you. The one game that you will like to have a chance to coach again. Kansas, the last 240, 240 up uh, nine. What year was that? Mm. Uh, I was I was at, at my next to last year at Memphis. So that must have been 2008. Interesting. Odds of you coaching in the NBA again? Uh, not good at all. Because right now, I get to coach all the teams. I got somebody on every team. I'm coaching every one of them. 5%? Less, probably. I don't think. At this point, at this stage, no. Nah, no, nah, I'd it. say zero. Lakers or Heat? Um... The Lakers have to figure out matchups defensively. And Miami better run back. Forget about offensive rebounding. Form a wall like you did against a kid from Milwaukee and then play from there and you have a chance. Miami or the Lakers? Ah, I'm liking them both. <laughs> All right. We won't, we won't, we won't gotta, put this hey, out there. You hey, got to give uh, me one. Whatever happens, I'm hoping my guys play really well. All right. I'm going to let you off the hook on that. Are you watching the debate tonight? Absolutely. Must see TV. Uh, how many more years would you coach? Um, I'm, I don't know. You know, I, I never thought I'd coach in my 60s. So I, um, I got a few more years. But here's what I would say. Um, the way I feel right now, the way I'm able to coach these kids and give back, I feel good. Uh, will it be five years? Will it be more than that? Yeah. 
You know what they say, the 50s is the new 40s, 60s is the new 50s, 70s is the new 60s, 80s, 80. So. <laughs> 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 hey, let's do this. I won't coach in my 80s. If I coach in my 70s, I may have you slap me. How about that? I think, I, you know what, you are more rejuvenated and excited about what you're doing in your platform today than you have been yes. in a long time. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if you keep figuring out a way. Best leadership advice you've ever gotten? Um, two things I got to tell you. One is in my profession or in any profession, if you care about your people and you truly care, you'll always have a job because they'll make sure you always have a job if you care. But it's got to be authentic and it can't be fake if you care. The other piece of advice I was given by Pat Nardelli when I took the UMass job, you can have a bad deal with good people. It happens, but you can never have a good deal with bad people. Don't, if you see it, don't matter what it smells like, run. If you're with bad people, it ain't working. So my staff and players that I recruit, people that I have around me, I make sure they're good people. All right, two more. Uh, LeBron or MJ? MJ just, he just, yeah, you can't compare him to anybody. Some, somebody was trying to compare somebody to the spirit of uh, that MJ played with the competitiveness and that Kobe played with. I, you can't, don't even th just those two are separate and, and, you know, and I, I don't think comparing anybody to, Is it, to isn't Michael. remarkable to see LeBron compete at this level at 37? It is crazy. Now that remarkable. and what he did at the end of that last game, it's remarkable. you sat there and you just thought this, he's not 31. He's going to end up next time we turn around, he's going to be 40. Yeah. It, I don't know. Whatever he's eating. I want some of that. All right. You're last my question, dogs. Cal. Yeah. No, that's uh, last question. When was the last time you changed your mind about something? Um, right now I was, I would hope, someone could get me to think different about where I see things going in our country right now. I, I, please, somebody, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears to, you know, change my mind because I'm not, not seeing good stuff. And I'm talking both sides, what we're doing in the, in the division and, and, and how we're demonizing everybody. And, and, and this is a country that my grandparents came through Ellis Island and look what has happened for me. This is the greatest country in the world. How are we getting to where there's so much division here? I don't know. Um, so if you can change my mind and saying it's, it's going to get better and it's all there, please do it. Cause I just, I just worry. I worry for democracy. I worry for, you know, you know, you, you sit and, you, you wonder, people say, well, what, what is your, is he a Republican? Is he a Democrat? Is he, no, I'm for people. How do we make sure people have access and opportunities that everybody has? How do we make sure there's health care? I don't care how you do it. Just tell me, convince me. I mean, how do we have social justice within? And I'm not talking this and that. I'm saying where people are treated fairly. And, and how do we do this within what we have? Because we make steps up and then we come back and then we have steps up and we come back. I think what I've told my players, if anything's going to change, it's got to be through changing laws. You can change people's minds around the fridge, 
fringe, but you're not changing their heart and mind if they're set. You got to change laws. And a lot of those laws, incredibly so, are at the city level. They're yeah. At the county level. Yes. At the state level. This is not. And people you know, don't vote locally. Exactly. Vote. Yeah, exactly. You got to vote. And get to know who you're voting for. Like, do yeah. your homework. It's an important yes. responsibility. Don't show up and, you know, play darts. Brother, you look great. Your energy's off the charts as always. I'm uh, excited to both watch your team play and to see you again in person before long. I really appreciate you doing this. It means the world and uh, you're a class act. Thanks, Rick. You're the best. I can't think of a better guest to have in the show after six months than John Calipari. His energy, his passion for life, his passion for his teams and players is so contagious. Here are the three things I took from our conversation. Number one is embracing and preserving whatever the silver lining from this pandemic brings to you. In his case, is the lack of travel and commitment and what it gave him in time to think and to create. Number two is the notion of learning to love the grind is the key to success. It really is a habit and it starts with what we tell ourselves about our struggles. And number three, is the importance of the people we associate ourselves with, both in the quality of the journey, but in many cases, the outcome of life. Thank you for listening. Rick shared his three things, but we want to know your takeaways as well. Tweet at Rick Elias to let us know your thoughts on this conversation. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog, threethings.redventures.com. Thanks for listening.